0: What's up, ladies and gents? Welcome to the Elk Hunt Podcast. I'm your host, Cody Rich. And if you're new here, this podcast feed is a place for all of the elk hunting interviews that I've done over the last six or seven years. Some are Wapiti Wednesdays, some are from my original podcast. But I wanted to compile the largest collection of elk hunting knowledge and interviews ever put together, which is pretty cool. And I would love your guys' help getting it out there to the world. So if you could do me a huge favor, uh, this is a new feed. So go leave it a five-star review and maybe tell a friend about it but thank you so much for tuning in and i hope you guys enjoy this elk Cunning podcast all righty welcome to uh welcome to walk to you wednesday gabe um you're um well you you sent me this message and i was like man this is really good stuff we should talk about a lot of this on wapete wednesday and you're like you're like i don't know if i should be on wapete wednesday and i was like no like this is the type of guest that I love having, uh, and you're passionate about it, like which is like ninety nine percent. So um, for for like some of the listeners, like give us um, thirty thousand foot view. I um, mean, experience where you're at because you're in Canada, right?
1: Yeah, um. So I'm in British Columbia, Canadian. Um, lived most of my life in British Columbia, all of my life in Canada. So some travel here and there. Um, uh, I um. I'm relatively new to elk hunting compared to some guys. So I'm 39, I think now. And I think I've been hunting elk now for nine years or maybe 10 years. And the first five years had absolutely no success like everyone. And then I listened to your podcast with Paul Medell at the advice of one of, you could argue, my mentors as far as my work training. And I realized everything I'd ever done wrong in that podcast and I said okay well I'm gonna to have to stop start changing and then success went right up so I've I'm I had to take one year in the last six not really hunting because of the, my wife's pregnancy so I'm four bulls in five years uh, of since I got my first one um, uh, admittedly a lot of luck is still involved I still consider myself just ceasing to be an uh, a beginner and just entering intermediate as far as elk hunting um right but i th- i feel like through a lot of reading and then having just more timely elk with more experience i've learned a lot of things i've read elk stuff and also other wildlife stuff that's not specifically geared towards hunting more like the biology, biology side and then my work my training for my occupation um has d- Heavy in the biologic sciences as well. And so, some of the, I guess, just ways of thinking from my job carry over to other parts of my life. And I began putting um just having thoughts in my head. And so, over Christmas, I had a bunch of time off of work because, like I mentioned, we're kind of in a, in a, we just moved and all this. And so, I, I listened to your six hour ultimate elk marathon because I had nothing to do over Christmas. And I started. It just got me thinking about stuff like, and I just started jotting some stuff down just for the sake of it. And what started as a few like just point form things on my phone, it ended up like, it's like a four page single space, like manifesto of Elk Hunting. And, I know, um,
0: I, I love it. And I was like, gonna say like, you had, like sent me this and I was like, man, these, this, there's like, this is probably multiple podcasts just in this. Um, But there's a few things I can tell. Um One, I mean, A, that you're a smart dude. Um, and you've kind of thought through a lot of these things and you've thought through a lot of um, the failures as well. Like, you know, like you had mentioned, you know, I think a lot of great elk hunters can pull from their own mistakes instead of repeating them over and over, um, which I think you can do really well. And like, you had kind of mentioned a little bit of that, just like as you were kind of going through that six hour podcast, or even like the one you said, the Paul Mandel podcast. And it's like, Oh yeah, these are all the mistakes I'm making. Um, it was crazy. crazy. I was like,
1: Oh, that's what I did wrong that time oh, that's what I did wrong that time. Oh, that's why that bull didn't come in. I was like, I should have five archery bulls on my wall instead of zero. Like, so if you only have one elk podcast, to listen to, don't listen to this one. Listen to his.
0: <laughs> but sure. I'm, happy um, to,
1: I'm happy to talk elk with whoever will let me talk elk. So here we are.
0: Well, I was going to say like, when was the aha moment or is it like slowly over time for you?
1: as far as wanting to be an elk hunter or as far as, aha, I can do this, or as far as, aha, I got to do things differently.
0: A little bit of the aha, I can do things, or I should do things differently. And, and kind of, when was the moment you're like, okay, I have confidence in this. Like,
1: so the, the place we just moved away from, and we still own a house there um, the first year. So that area has elk, not a ton, but it has elk. And so there's this kind of area of ranch land. They call it a ranch. It's a few hay fields, not a huge area at all, but elk are seen around there. And so I started doing some, just like the, 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 the e-scouting, right? Like, okay, well, here's where the elk are going to end up. That's private land. Well, where do I want to be? Well, there's this, there's kind of slough Creek kind of thing here. There's some old trappers trails that are barely visible on Google Earth. Let's go there. So I went there. And I was kind of just pushing miserable bush because that's all we have where we live. It's just the worst. Um, and I, um, I realized in that six-hour podcast what I was doing now was wrong. I, you make a lot of noise pushing bush. And so you got you to gotta let the animals know what you are. So I would let out a few cow calls here and there, which now I realize Paul Madel says, no, let out a few bull sounds. Let right. them know you're a bull. So, okay, I'll do that next year. But anyway, I let a few cow calls and then not like, you know, maybe a couple hundred yards a bull answered. Every other year that it happened to me, like every other guy that I just read online, how do you hunt elk? Like, I don't know. So they, they say, you all well, set up and cow call, you know, the bulls will come to the cows. And then I, I remember from that podcast, like, no, when a bull is answering a cow, invariably the bull wants the cow to come. So go to the bull cow call your way to him and he told he he, i don't know you probably remember he's like make the cow call this way so change your cow call basically like don't make the same noise it's still a cow but they're making a different noise and you go to the bull so i did and i got rates to like 15 yards on a small six that just by the way the lay of the land and the way the bull turned and there was a big stump in the way i didn't get a shot off but i came to full draw so that was the first time, no, that wasn't the first. That was the first time I called successfully myself to a legal bull and got to full draw by doing things the opposite of everything I'd read in every YouTube video I'd watched. And <laughs> I went, I bet you this guy's right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I ended up emailing him because he said you could email him. And then he, he's like, Congratulations on doing that and good luck next time, kind of thing. And yeah, I actually ended up getting a moose that year um, not an arrow to moose, uh, uh, that year, um, also by luck, but, um, got an elk the year before that, the year after that, um, and a couple since. So,
0: it, I mean, it's funny. Um, I'm, I'm sure that there's like this aha moment for a lot of people. And, um, I think that, I, I think the general advice of, you know, I, I, I want to say like every YouTuber where it's like you set up in Calcol and and just kind of work your way around the woods and hope that something comes to you. I don't think it's necessarily bad advice. I think it works in some situations. I just think that, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, maybe, maybe 20 years ago it worked a heck of a lot better because it wasn't like everyone in the woods wasn't doing it. It wasn't around every corner, you know? And so like, Mm -hmm. I think the times change and you have to definitely be more realistic. Right. Um, And it kind of leads into one of the first things you wrote was like elk do not have the, uh, do uh, elk do not process the binary decision of safe versus dangerous. The rationale of an elk is safe versus fails to be safe. And it's, it's, I, I think it falls into that category of, when a ton of people are in the woods doing things, you just have to be more realistic. You have to, it like it has to pass the bullshit test from their meter. Right. Um, I have used the analogy before. Like if I walked into the bank and everyone's wearing a suit, that seems normal. But if I walked into the mechanics office and everyone's wearing the suit, I'm like, wow, something feels off. Like Mm. the situation feels different. Right. Um, It fails. Like it, if it fails the gut test for me, like yeah. there's, um, you know, you could be walking down the street and see something and be like, hmm, that's odd. And I think that happens a lot in elk hunting because you have, you know, this situation where it's like, oh, cow is calling, right? And it's like, maybe it's the hoochie mama. We'll just give the worst example. The and- <laughs> mama.
1: Half of this is inspired by someone I hunt with who I love dearly who uses the hoochie mama. <laughs> <laughs> I hate the hoot. I'm not saying don't use it. I'm not saying it doesn't work. I don't want you to get a thousand emails saying here, here's a picture I both took. But I hate the hoochie mama because it can only do one thing. Right. Right. And I've and, learned, I've learned, right. I've learned, find a call where you can do lots of different sounds on. It. So but anyway, sorry, I
0: interrupted. No, I mean that was kind of it though. It was, like I, I like this point. And I I mean if you want, you could elaborate on like your thoughts on it and like what you've taken from it.
1: Well, I think that um Binary can be two things. This stems from kind of a background of having a little bit of mathematics where you can have you can be on one side of the line or on the other side of the line, but there still leaves that line. Mm-hmm. Whereas you can make a binary decision where you're on one side of the line or you fail to be on that side of the line. And for an elk to survive, they got predators of all sorts, human and non-human. If they had, if if they instinctively adopted that middle ground enough, they're not going to survive. So for an elk to go somewhere, it's going to go somewhere it knows it's safe. It's not going to go somewhere it guesses it's safe. It's only going to go where it knows it's safe. It's only going to approach that which it knows it's safe to approach. It's only going to associate and be physically close to that which it knows. And that's different than it could be, it couldn't be, but there's a maybe. There is no maybe. It either is safe for them or it's not, and they will move. And you can apply that to lots of different things you know you could apply that to is is this ladder safe to climb well i don't know it is so i better not you know is this going to hold up my car while i change a tire well i don't know it will so i better not you could apply that to all sorts of situations in life and i think i know based on my experience and just sound logic that that's how and probably every prey animal is like that but elk get pressured a lot so um, so how does that, that apply
0: work, to your hunting um and here you, you said, have to do
1: everything you have to do everything right unfortunately
0: right
1: like you could get lucky maybe but you're gonna get you're not gonna get lucky on a, many years in a row
0: that can and, be consistent
1: and you're if you're the type of individual who wants to target a specific animal you're very unlikely to get that animal unless you do everything right so the point there, I think the subtext is I can get better at elk hunting. Most everyone could. And if you have the time and, and to do research and read and look at people who are successful and how they do, and if, if you watched a video of someone who usually tags out every year and then they post a video where they don't, why in that situation did they not tag out? Well went wrong? But you can always get better because at the end of the day, you almost have to be perfect, I find, at least for me, for me to get a shot.
0: You know, it's funny, um, when I talk about, um, and I've been ta- saying this for years, but it's like, I talk about one-on-one versus two-oh-one versus three-oh-one and, you know, one-on-one I've always kind of said is, you know, stumbling around the, in the woods, trying to figure it out. You're trying to get lucky, essentially. That was You're trying my to be
1: first the- five years. That was my right. first five years.
0: And that's most and people's I got
1: lucky once.
0: Right. So, and, and then I think two-oh-one is like when you, um, you can consistently make it happen, right? You have enough tools in the toolkit to be fairly consistent. And I think luck play. we could, in in a future episode, very shortly, I'm going to dive into like the four four versions of luck. But my point would be like for level two, level 201 would be like, you can consistently kill luck. You have a system, you know, and level three, um, 301 is like a lot of my friends that I hunt with. I wouldn't put myself in that category clearly. Um, but you know, you can target one bowl and you have the skill set to execute on that one bowl, which is very, very difficult. That's when I feel like you have to be perfect. I think there's things you can get away with and still kill a six point every single year. Um, You can make a lot of mistakes, the opportunity. And if you're not, again, this is going to be opportunity rich environment. Like, you know, everyone, every place is different. um, Every type of terrain, uh, you know, and those things there's people that will spend years and not kill one. And I think it has more to do with their like opportunity, the opportunities that they're around. Um, And that could just be like, you know, for you, you live in Canada. It's, a little bit more difficult for you just to hunt multiple out-of-state hunts every year and things like that. And I think well, there's to a lot keep of... in
1: mind that BC is like twice the size of Texas or bigger.
0: True. However,
1: the overwhelming majority of BC doesn't develop. Um, like, <laughs> Colorado has more elk than BC and right. BC is 10 times the size. But part of that also stems from what you had in your previous podcast one time, I remember, used the term red zone. A lot of it, that rule number one came from when you're in the red zone. Mm. You are now inside okay you're if you're a bow hunter you're inside 60 inside 50 right at that point there is no mistake you have to do everything right because you're 50 yards from an animal that makes its living by just surviving predators and that's really where you you didn't choose you you stood on the wrong side of the stump and some of it's just flip a coin but (laughs) you have to do everything right you stood on the wrong side of the stump you know you should have had your left shoulder if if you're if you're a right hand shooter so that you can swing to your left but you didn't Uh, your right shoulder now you can't swing to the right or you didn't have a read in your mouth and you you, that you need that one extra just little chirp to turn them or whatever i don't know i'm making stuff up but that's really what inspired this this because i i try to bow hunt and bc our bow our archery season is only nine days so I, I like go hunting a lot, but I don't do a ton of it compared to some guys. Um, but that's where I learned like nah. when you're in that, what you call the red zone. And I think that's right. It's got to happen. The t- you mentioned in one of your podcasts cadence, the cadence has to be right. The sounds have to be right. The wind has, it's got to be perfect for you to yeah. arrow a bull for me anyway. And, and, and I've only arrowed one. I've missed one and I've had been a full draw a bunch of times and couldn't let a shot off because of the nasty jungle I hunt in. And actually, when I called Paul, I mentioned that like, he told me to stop hunting there. He's <laughs> yeah. like, "You're never gonna." cause like, you never gonna shoot one there. It's too thick." You, it, right?
0: and, uh, you know there, there's a lot there's a little bit of truth to that um i grew up hunting you know oregon coast so like i sure. totally understand that the red zone is very different when you're calling elk in the jungles of oregon versus you're spotting stock elk uh in eastern montana if i get in the red zone it's game over like it's done sure. it is a sealed deal like not, i'm gonna say 9 out of 10 times in open country they're just not it, when I'm not calling and like, it's a, a spot in stock situation. Those are much higher odds than say BC trying to call an elk. They just, it's different. However,
1: um, will, you, The elk wouldn't have known you were there.
0: Right, right. Exactly. So you did
1: everything right. You did everything right. The elk felt safe. If right. there was even a question, if the elk, I mean, maybe if you, if you hunt private branches that no one hunts, and they they never, but in public land, which is pretty much all we have in BC, right if it doesn't feel safe it's not going to be there long enough for you to get a a shot off archery shot anyway right let's want to do a running shot which i I, i've never tried
0: which Um, yeah i mean not ideal the the you know the red zone thing is like and this is comes this is where the at-bats comes in because so many of those mistakes that i've made over the years is like have fine tune that gut intuition of when to draw when not to draw there's like instant body language of what's this bull going to do am i going to get away with this or am i not going to get away with this like can i can i come to full draw and just like step out you know those little things and um i was was there's a person who um messaged me this year and he's like hadn't found success still hadn't killed one and he's like you were in the back of my head with the um in, in the elk course that I did, I talked about the 90, 10, but I actually called it the 99 one, which is like, you have to go 90, let them come nine. But sometimes you have to execute that last 1%. And he's like, you were in my head. And he's like, this bull was 15 yards away, but I had no shot. And I had to just come to full draw. And I just went around the tree and the bull spooked. He went to 35 and I smoked him. And I was like, that only comes from like a whole bunch of not even failures. It's a whole bunch of things that didn't happen. And you get so frustrated. You're like, yeah. I have to force the shot. Like it's, it, it's not going to happen. I've seen this play it, out before. Yeah. It's
1: funny. We've both independently come up with the 90, 10 rule. It's like, I, I use it. Like, it's like trying to kiss a girl on the first date. I'm talking. Yeah. So I'm talking about calling in timber. This is where yeah. that's what we do in BC. Cause there is no open, there is open country, but there's no elk really there. Right. Um, so in calling in timber, this is where that's kind of the, the context of my, what I call universal truths. And the 90, 10 thing is you call yourself 90% of the way. It's like kissing a girl on the first date. If you yep. tried to meet in a hundred percent with your tongue out, you're not gonna get that kiss. But if you only did 50 or 60% of the way, she's gonna be like, this guy doesn't have the confidence to kiss me. And right. I find, like you said, you go 90% of the way, the elk's got it. You, you gotta be good enough or convincing enough, the elk's gonna have to come 10, at least in thick timber.
0: Yeah. And it's funny, because I use that same analogy in the elk 201 course. Um, But the the other thing is like, sometimes you go to kiss a girl, you go 90, she comes nine, and she's waiting for you to make the move on that 1%. So like, you have to like, you have to know when that when to execute that 1%. And just go full draw, walk around the tree and like, just hope like how you get the shot. And
1: that that's kind of I did that extra 1% on my hunt this year. It was with a rifle, but I'll give myself a pass because it was in the densest jungle. Like at 15 yards, I had no rifle shot. That's how dense <laughs> it is. That's so, crazy. Um, so I gave myself a, a, a pass on that one. Um, I was allowed to use a rifle there.
0: So number two, anyway. you, have, you, have elk, you have elk calling sins um, sins of commissions and omissions uh, have, have the same outcome. Can you elaborate yeah, so- on
1: that one? So okay, partly like I'm I'm a Christian. So we have an ego to church. Like you can commit a sin of commission where you've done something wrong, or you can consider a sin of omission where you haven't done something right. Like the blind lady walking across the street, you didn't get out to help her walk across the street. You didn't do anything right. wrong. You didn't do anything. So I'm, this is referencing calling. And and I took a couple family members with me elk hunting this year and kind of had some close encounters and then none of them could, could seal the deal. And like, so we would do lots of right calling, but then mm. when we're very close, if you failed to do you did nothing wrong, but something else, that extra 1% you mentioned wasn't done, the same outcome happens. You don't shoot an elk. Right. So you can make the right call or you can, uh, you can make the wrong call. And then for however far away you are, you can make the wrong call. Uh, either you sound terrible or you only have a hoochie mama and that's all you can do. It might get a bull to respond 500 yards away, but then what? So you made the right call. Okay. That starts the process. But as you're making your way to the bull, it may come to a situation where like you can fail to make the right call. He's like, but I had the wind, I had the cover. I did everything right. Yeah. But you, you had a sin of, uh, of omission. You omitted that, that bull um, you know, needed you to make uh now you needed to challenge him
0: right
1: and you didn't challenge him and so you weren't a threat to him and in his space and so he's like ah this is a satellite i don't need to go in and make a visual confirmation that i'm that that my area is safe i'm going to go back to my bed which you don't know where this is the middle of the jungle that's that's a you omitted something and the outcome is the same so it's kind of like i think it's, it's just from my own experience that yeah, I made a lot of wrong calls, but I'm looking back at a couple years ago, I called in 11 bulls inside 65 yards in the first 10 days. So archery season from the first to the ninth, and then on the 10th, I still had my bow. Called in 11 bulls inside 65 yards, including a 6 by 7 and a 6 by 6 No shots fired. So I did everything right, except I omitted something on every single one. I eventually air- rifled one from 300 yards on the last morning of the season. I'm happy with that. I got my meat, but so I just thought, like, man, you could do everything right, but sometimes you still you missed something. You didn't do right. anything wrong. You didn't do anything wrong, but you missed something. And so that's just kind of like my rule think, about it. The only thing is, it, it says the same outcome: no elk down. Right. I think how do you apply it? I don't know. Like something's different in every scenario, but
0: well, and I think you know. here's where it's gotten me in the past, and I see it. Um, I see it a lot, but, and it, and definitely within myself. And so here's a great example of like the aggression thing. You'll, you'll go into a situation and you'll be passive. Say day one, you get into an elk and you're like, Oh, oh, this is a good bull. Maybe you see him and you're like, Oh, I should be, you know, I shouldn't spook him. So you're a little bit too passive. Right. And he lost interest. And you've seen this play out. Right. And the bull just kind of does his own thing. Then you're like, uh, you get frustrated and you, you you pendulum swing too far the other way. You're like, I just got to be aggressive. And then you go in and you're too aggressive. You go a little bit too far and you go a little yeah. like, to 95 and you bump them. Right. Instead of so staying the at 90. The first one
1: was a sin of omission. The second one was a sin of commission. Either way, you, the outcome was the same. You didn't shoot an right, elk. Right. And it just, for I think, so certainly as a, when I was very much a beginner, I would, I would certainly I would do things wrong, but I would also. I called a few bulls, and then I failed to do the right thing at the right time at the end. And I omitted an important step that was going to be that final thing that got me that shot opportunity. And so
0: and A I lot of people do the omission thing. Oh, go ahead. Finish. They're afraid to call, like in go close
1: – like, you know, or they're afraid to get bold when it's time to. And I guess it, I have to learn a lot. Like I screwed up a lot. Like this year I was – that was, I don't know, my I – mean, ninth bowl, i called in and i shot so i screwed up eight times so i'm still i'm learning from experience that i can om- i can do a lot of sins of omission i'm less i'm not committing as many sins now i'm playing the wind i'm using good sounds i got a read that fits my mouth that sounds good i got good equipment and my my bow is tuned and so i'm not committing any things but i'm still omitting stuff and at the end of the day i don't shoot enough.
0: do you think That's it's a- do you think confidence plays into the omissions
1: or in my in my situation definitely experience like a couple of times in the past i was like oh i should have done that i failed to right. do that step that now I, and I, I i'm not calling myself an expert at any sense but I, even when i look at like one situation i had like seven or eight years ago what i would have done now i omitted a very important step in the end of the day didn't shoot that elk
0: You know, it's funny. Um, And one of the ways it happens, like I see it myself and as hard as I can be cognitive of what's happening, I still can't change it is that, you know, I will like take, for example, this year, if I'm on a giant, an absolute giant, I act different than I would if that bull was less inches. If that one was a 300 inch bowl, I would not care whatsoever. And I would go in with a laser faire cocky attitude and it would happen very quickly. And it happens this year, like the day I basically lost, you know, and this has happened multiple times in the last three years where it's like the day I just, I lose a big bull and I get pissed off and I say the next bull dies, I just walk up and shoot it. And it's not that, you know, it's pretty easy. And it's like, why can't that just work out on, you know, one of the big bulls? And it's like, no, it's, I don't think it's necessarily that the situation was all that different. I think it just has to do with my approach to it being too pat, not being aggressive enough. Right. Or maybe it's the confidence. Like I just don't care if I bump a, you know, a smaller bull or a younger bull, even if it's an older bull, but it's big. It's like, I just don't care. And so I have a different approach and it's like, how do I, it's real hard for me to have that same approach uh, when, you know, when you see the giants, it's like, You know you need to do it. You know you need to act a certain way and move a certain way, and that'll equal success because it works every other time. But it's really hard.
1: The only true giants I've seen are national parks. So (laughs) the elk where I live, they're they're not. There was one giant taken I know of, um, but most of them are. My bull was two eighty. That's the biggest bull I've. No, it's not the biggest bull. Three hundred. I think it's a relative. Three hundred would be a giant. Or three hundred would be. 300 here would be like 340 in Arizona. Like, you're pretty happy with yeah. a 340 bull. Most guys would be, right? Like, yeah. So, anyway. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah, and like, I mean, I grew up in Western Oregon. Like, it's for all those people that think I you know, say now, because I think on the podcast, I said a, a small 315 bull and someone got angry at me. And like, I grew up chasing 260s. Okay.
1: I would love to okay. do a 315. I would love to If I arrowed one, I'd mount it for sure. I'd pay the tax and rebuild it arrow a 315. Especially <laughs> where I live, where... And it's
0: And
1: you, you can be in the same living room and not see them so
0: just mm-hmm. never never smoke a cuban um one of my old bosses told me that and i said why and he said because once you smoked a cuban every other cigar just doesn't um, taste quite as good and i said oh.
1: i don't know i've caught big fish i've caught a seven foot sturgeon i still like fishing
0: <laughs> true. Oh. true i'm
1: pretty sure if i shot a big elk which that's still on my to-do list i would be happy to elk hunt the next year
0: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I do, I love elk hunting. It's just, I, I think that when you've, I don't know, when when you're around a lot of big ones, maybe it's just a numbers thing, right? Like once you've, I don't know, there's people out there that like, they've caught a million 12 inch trout and they still get, you know, the same high when they catch a 12 inch trout. So Mm -hmm. I don't know. Like it's, I guess, I don't know. Maybe I'm cursed. Um, I, 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 we could talk, I don't know. Is there any that like jump out at you? You want to talk about one of these?
1: Um. Well, we. I I like number four. Randomly talk elk. You like number
0: four? Yeah, Yeah. I want. I want to talk about this one.
1: Okay. This is this is inspired. This is inspired by stuff that I've done wrong, but also by a family member who I love dearly, who drew a a cow tag for private land, and it's only private ranches. And there's only there's a few spots in BC that have this. It's a winter cow tag, and we're talking. It's like, "Oh, I'm going to go on the field. I'm going to cow call, and they'll come out. You're going to." So you're going to be in the middle of a field, by definition, flat as a field, and you're just going to start calling and think they're going to come out? No. Uh, The, The elk has to, if the elk can see the source, and anyone who's done it for more than a few years has realized, how the hell did they know to the square foot where that sound is coming from? that's a supernatural ability elk have and I'm told moose but I don't do enough moose hunting to know but I'm told that they have a supernatural ability to know exactly where the sound is coming from even if they was across the mountain and so if they can see that spot they don't have to see a hunter they don't have to see a coyote or a bear they have to if they don't see the elk and this kind of goes back to this number one safe versus not safe if they don't know that an elk made that sound they're going to leave They may not run, but they're not going to present a shot. Yeah. And so just if you're rifle hunting and you're setting up on a Canyon and you're kind of sitting on a, and you're like, well, the elk are 500 yards away. doesn't matter if I move or not. Yeah. But don't call. They're going to look, see no elk there and go, that ain't right. And rule number one is going to take effect. They don't feel safe. They're out of there.
0: Right. This is funny. So funny story, long, long time ago um, uh, my ex-wife and I actually, she was hunting, she had the tag and we were, we get, we were sit, I don't know what the deal was midday, whatever it was. And we get these elk, we bump them and we are running. We're just running and running and running and like chasing, trying to catch up with this herd of elk. And it's like, you know, going across and I'm bugling and this bull's bugling. And he like would stop every once in a while. And like, scream back, but he would just keep going. I mean, it was a probably 50 head of cows. And I scream and I could tell he'd like turn and stop. And I thought they were right there. And I pull up on this meadow and I'm like, yeah, let's here. This is the perfect spot. And I have a video of this bull. Um and at the time I thought he was like the end all be all giant. And he was he was a big bull. Um and he like just comes right to this edge of this meadow. And the meadow I chose to to sit on mind you she could probably shoot like 40 yards is like 80 yards across and of course what's he do he walks right to the edge of the meadow bugles and then kind of skirts the edge of it looking for me and it was like classic mistake like this this gap is twice as big as my effective shooting range yeah. this was never going to play out well and yeah. um, you know and this i mean it's classic like you're, you're chasing elk you're in them and you're like oh an opening and it, i think it's even e- easier to make this mistake when you hunt areas that are so condensed and tight and you're like never you can never get a shot and so here's this spot where you, you can see it. 150 yards it's yeah. very tempting to say ooh, here is this setup But the first thing that elk's going to do is like, he's going to look at that meadow and say, he's going to want you to come. And I've, I've had this happen where I've chased bulls for miles and I'll come to one meadow and he'll stop on the other side of it. And he did that intentionally because he's waiting to see who I am so he can size me up, you know? And so they'll just sit on the opposite side of that meadow. And you're never like, you're never going to get shot. You're not going to call him across it. You're not going to do anything. Like the, the worst He's expecting to see you. And so in the same scenario, you can't, you're like, you can't give yourself up, which then makes go back to rule number one. It's like something's off an elk would have shown themselves by now. And so like, this is a classic mistake that so many people make.
1: And you can do it. It doesn't matter the distance. If you're rifle hunting, if you're on an open hillside, don't call. They're going to look across the canyon. Elk is what? Eight feet long by three feet high and bright yellow. That's pretty easy to see with the naked eye. They're going to hear an elk sound and there's no elk there. When I know there's not enough timber to conceal it, I'm going to leave that canyon. That's what the elk is thinking. And, yeah. and if you're in thick timber, it's the same principle, but now it's 20 yards. Like if you, yeah, it, you, that's why a lot of people talk about, and I'm not good at it, but you might have to move up a few yards from where you called last. So that yeah. when he gets over that crest around that bush, he, he can't see the source of the sound. And that's kind of why I almost lost that bull I rifled this year. Um, it was kind of, a, kind of a crazy story how I got him. I won't tell it. I did write it down. It was, I thought it was cool. I submitted it to, to, to Bugle Magazine. They didn't get back to me.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, but it was like he got to where he could see the source of my sound. And that was only 15 yards, but I had no shot. Right. I, know, I know he knows he should see me. And he doesn't, even though it's through a tree and there's no shot because of all the brush in the way, there's enough. You can see an antler here, a tail there, a leg there. And And so he spooked and through a miracle of uh, something I would have never tried before. I got a shot at him after, but um, he knew he should have seen me there. and He didn't. And so he left. Yeah. And I don't know, but do you, for me, and I've had a number of times now, I've seen the elk like literally Michael Jackson moonwalk, and more than one bull has done this. Have you seen that? Like it's, it's like like
0: walking backwards. Whoop, whoop, whoop. Oh yeah,
1: like, you like tight keep, You're you're if you're at a party and you poke your head in a door and people are like, "This isn't the this is the wrong room for me." Oh, I'm just gonna like walk out. I I've literally seen the bulls walk. Straight oh, backwards. and you
0: you can watch them like when they like do that like it's just like walking into a party where their head is like looking around like oh I'm in the wrong room yeah and <laughs> they then got, they, they, and go. They, go,
1: they go straight back and like man he could see he didn't see me I I know he didn't see me because otherwise he would have barked and, barked and barked and barked and barked and barked and barked and barked but he didn't he just didn't see the elk and he left yeah and so don't if 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 they can see the source of the sound don't call from there because they don't see the elk that made the sound and they're not dumb enough to know, Oh, I should go look closer because they would have been shot already.
0: Right. I posted, um, I posted something on the, the interwebs and I got a little bit of, I got a few trolls hit me about, um, cause I said a good rule of thumb is if I can see a hundred yards, I don't call. And the point of that video was to say like, I'll look for spots, say there's like a, a cluster of trees that go up this way in this open country, if I have a bunch of ground where it's, you know, I can see a hundred yards in a lot of places, I'm probably not going to call. I'll try to like tuck in places where the, you know, that would be realistic, right? Like if there's a drainage with some timber, some brush in it or something, maybe I'll go up that. Um, and people are like, Oh, I, you know, I've killed lots of bulls in the open. I'm like, okay, I'm sure it's been done. I think is a good rule of thumb. If you can see more than hundred yards, it's probably not you're a great talking about, idea you're talking
1: about bow hunting. yeah even yeah, yeah bow, bow hunting, hunting.
0: Yeah. yeah um and people are like oh a decoy and i'm like okay um yes and uh, uh, like just to clarify i'm not if you're shooting raghorns and spikes this rule goes out the window i've called them from 500 yards like it i'm sure i'm sure you've done it it's fine like that's great but like as a rule of thumb i would say you know if you can't shoot as far as you can see like it's not a, not a great idea i would just try to find another place so can it be done i guess at the point of this is like can it be done sure um has it been done yeah probably um does a decoy work yeah it can work um, i've seen it work really well um and i've seen it not work you know it's it's kind of like it goes uh I, I, there's so many variables like um a good friend and i were talking about decoys this year and he's he's had really good success with them in places where they don't get a lot of hunting pressure, if they get a lot of hunting pressure, you know, again, like the, the bullshit radar goes up and it seems like mm-hmm. they don't work as well. And so like, I think it kind of, it just depends on your area. If you're hunting private ground where elk have never been seen a human, yeah, I'm sure it'll work great. Like just, it won't really matter. Right. Like, but it's how many people are listening to this that I get to hunt that kind of place. So I think it's a relative thing, but I think in general, 100%. Yeah. I like it's rule.
1: funny. I, I think the same way you think. I never made that hundred yard rule, partly because I've never been able to see a hundred yards I don't agree. But so lots of times it's like there's a a fallen down deadfall with branches kind of coming up, and I'm like, if I call right here, what if something popped up? What if what if I just and just by happens and I have no shot now? So I'm like it's kind of not this rule but it's a strategy i started to do where i don't call if i if something just happened to pop up right there i couldn't i couldn't shoot it because something was in the way and i don't know if it's happened to me and not just with elk hunting but you're walking you're walking and something popped up but you had no shot because there was one branch in the way well maybe my call was the thing that made it pop up and if i had just taken the time to step around that branch before i called and it popped up what i had a shot so that i'm not calling that a rule but i'm calling that a a prudent approach to picking the time when you're going to call you don't want to be seen you don't want the elk to see the source of the call but you also don't want to have anything obstructing your totally yeah and so i guess you could overanalyze it the downside of that is you could overanalyze and think well it's never safe to call i call a lot and i i think that i when i was hunting with my family members who in the last decade i've got a lot more elk hunting with they were like i think that they were upset with me and i was also like there's a bug we got to move quicker we got to move quick that was a sin of omission that, that one of my family members like kept on like walking slowly and i'm like they're going to their bedding we have to keep up with them yeah he's not going to turn around he's not going to turn around he didn't we committed a sin of omission we didn't yeah, keep up with them. yeah so uh anyway i got maybe i derailed us there
0: no, no, I think there's two really good things. Um, when I was hunting thick country a lot, I don't do it so much anymore, but when I was, um, going back to the 90-10 rule, I think it's important to you have to fudge that rule a little bit for the location. And you'll know it when you see it. And if it's not perfect, don't set up. Like just keep moving. Um, this happens so many times to me where it's like, uh, this it's not the it's not the perfect setup. It's not the perfect setup. And I would just either keep pushing or give it like three minutes. Cause that bull's going to keep moving. Right. And so when I would see it, I would know, I'd be like, man, this is a great setup. It has two things. I can shoot 40 yards, which is like pretty rare. And B it's, it's got enough topography or disclosure that he won't be able to tell where I was exactly. Like, it's not like a 40 yard meadow. I would take, you know, 25 yards but kind of open and like maybe there's a couple little things you know like has it has some i don't want to say character but it has something it, it that's going to hide
1: it, it could conceal the elk that he's hearing
0: right exactly he, yeah. it, there's, 100%. Enough timber,
1: there's enough downfall there's enough that It's reasonably plausible to a semi-rational beast. Yes, that's a great way to put it. That I that I can't see the elk, but I can hear it. That's okay. That 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 to me seems safe. I'm not going to run. That's that's the thought process of the elk.
0: One hundred percent. And when I was hunting Roosevelt's, how I would do this, I would have certain benches that I knew had that feature to it. And these elk, these elk would love these benches because you'd have these steep timbered slopes, and they'd love to hide on those hills. And there'd be trails all over, but you'd hit like a bench where this bench you could see. I mean, there's benches on places I'm thinking of in my head are like hundred yards, which is insane in there. It was just like jungle, jungle. You can't even walk you're fighting your way all of a sudden you pop out and there's like a bench that's wide open and i would be like okay these elk are going up to there i need to get to this bench it's not quite where i i mean it's not close to him but i think i can call him to this bench and in that scenario maybe it was an 80 20 i went 80 and i made him come 20 because i knew the layout was better for it was in my advantage
1: merely telling me that i'm gonna have to go up i've i had a uh so when I, um, one of my work, this one guy came in he's like, yeah, I called an elk from 800 yards, probably not going to happen year after year. Right. Most of the time, you're the guy going 800 yards. That's <laughs> uh, if, if you're new to elk hunting, get used to walking because <laughs> right. you're the guy. You can call them in, but I find that calling them in, in what I do, I'm not, if you live, work in open country and then you sponsor, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about calling And I wouldn't call an open country because I would be like, they're not going to believe this, but you, you, you can call them in, but that's only after you've called yourself most of the way to them. So the 90, 10, 80, 20, whatever you're, you're doing most of the legwork.
0: Totally. Totally. But I, I think when it comes to one of the most important decisions in thick country in, in calling in the game of calling, I think is the, you know, Choosing the last stand. And that may have to be altered a little bit, but I can say that 90% of the ones that got away were because I just didn't quite have it, didn't quite have the spot. And sometimes that was just like the bowl was coming too hard and I had to just take the ground that I had. That has happened so many times to me where I'm pushing, pushing, pushing. I'm looking at going to 90 and he already came back 10. And like, I'm I'm face to face and like this is the ground we stand on. And like it was just not ideal. You know, and Perfect like
1: blind dumb luck. They're right. they're 10, they're 10, you need them to go right and they go left. Right. I, had that happen. I had that happen last year so many times. All the bulls went to my right, they're left. All of them. And I was like, every single one, because I right hand draw. So I'm like, if just step right, step to your right, go, go to the right around the bush, and I got you. And man, they all went left. What are you gonna do? You did everything right of the mission. There was just a coin toss. They went right. They went their last instead of their right,
0: but
1: <laughs> it, it, the outcome was the same. No elk down. It's a of mission.
0: Yeah, dude, that happened to me this year. I um, so get on the the bull of my lifetime, of many lifetimes, all the lifetimes, and um, uh-huh. I get. I was just like, okay, I'm just gonna get close, see what happens. Um, I'm gonna play it safe. I get close, drop pack, shoot film, and I'm like, oh man. The way this is lining out, like should the cows are pretty straight out. Out? You feel yeah. it? Um, I don't. No, I just, I just with the cell phone and I was texting some buddies and you know, oh, okay. all, all the lead cows are going left to right. And I'm like, man, um, he's still up the hill quite a ways, but I'm like, if that's where they're going, like, I should, I should start going that way. Cause I got to cover some ground. Not that far. I mean, at, at the time I made that decision, he was like 300 yards away. So I start belly crawling to the right, of course, through just nothing but sagebrush and grass and mostly cactus. And um, so I'm going down into the right and I get there. I just come back up and all those lead cows had bedded down and he, I look back up and he goes right up to where I dropped my pack and was running a cow 50 yards from where my pack was dropped. And it was like, I had to sit there and watch this bull. And again, it's like, given that decision a hundred times over, I still would have went right like everything you know I was like I was kicking myself but at the same time like I went through this decision in my head there was like a strip of trees that went left and it was like man you could there's a lot more cover if I go left but if I go right that seems to be where that lead cow wants to go I was like you know I take the harder route and in when it comes to stocking okay I think oh always take the harder route and it was like i took the harder route and he went right to you know the easy route and Mm -hmm. was running right next to my pack and it's like oh so frustrating but again like you kind of just i mean there's not much you can do in that one
1: it's hunting it's if it was killing if it was killing it well it just wouldn't be what it is (laughs) i i have no interest there wouldn't be podcasts about it i have well i have no interest in going to a high fenced area and shooting a 500 inch elk i don't it's it's hunting <laughs> and yeah. that's part of why we have podcasts and we have courses and there's literature and and why you know spouses get mad at you for thinking <laughs> about it too much and <laughs> you brought <laughs> up a, this could you totally derail it unless you specifically wanted yeah, to stick no, to my okay. so you brought to so you mentioned you dropped your pack i learned the hard way don't do that on a sheep hunt and what t- turned out fine what was the other thing you mentioned that got my thinking uh, maybe i forget but you dropped your pack day i um yeah. I, if hey. I draw my, I lost my tags. Okay. Oh. So I went to, so right before a sheep hunt, I lost, is, is the densest, densest jungle. I went to check my camera the weekend before I'm going to leave for my sheep hunt. And so I carry a, I carry a rifle because we're in grizzly country. Carry a 338 windmig and with, with, with 250 grain round nose. Like I want to stop whatever's coming. And I've been charged by a grizz. So I don't, and without a gun. So I, I don't want to go through that again, ever not an experience I recommend. Um, and because in Canada, you have to have your license on your person if you're transporting ammunition or a rifle or any kind of... So I had my license. Well, my license with my tags and I was following the way to this camera through this nasty, terrible jungle is a, um, uh, a game trail that you can't see because the bushes will thick, but You can feel with your feet. If your feet aren't hitting anything, you're on the elk trail. And so I followed down the camera. And I had at one point I realized I went to pull up my phone to plug in the SD card. And I was like, there's nothing else in my pocket. And oh, my no. license with all my tags. And I was like, I leave for a sheep hunt in a week. I can't get another, sheep. I can't physically get the tag in time. So um, I never, I, I had, but I learned like never leave anything behind. I, and I left the pack one time on a sheep hunt when we went at final stock uh we ended up passing on the ram which i'm wondering if i ever should have i maybe i I shouldn't have passed on it but then we dropped our packs we went back we can't find our packs like dude we flew in we're a hundred kilometers from civilization but now without packs what are we going to do so i try to secure everything as double zippered rope tied to it all my calls are on rope um and i never drop a pack so you said you drop your pack to me that's ballsy. I would lose it. Uh,
0: I dropped my pack quite a bit. Um, it's the boots that I, I've learned not to do that anymore. Um, I don't know how many times I've like, you know, kicked boots off to do a stock and then ended up like miles away. and been like, God damn it. I wish I had boots right now.
1: <laughs> it's a fun thing for anyone listening and maybe no one wants to listen to me talk until they're not even listening to the podcast. But if you're an outdoors person of any kind, a useful exercise just to try and make sure you get home safe. As you're walking through wherever, look behind you every now and then and like mental photograph what that looks like. Because if you don't, on your way out, it doesn't look the same as the way in. Totally. And it's just a survival tip that I've learned the hard way. Been like, I'm following a game trail and like, wait a second. I came to, I was following one game trail going ahead of me and another game trail joined it going that same direction. So when I'm coming back, it forks. Which fork yeah. did I, I never took a fork what, what yeah. do i do now which it's way is home? when it's i was getting out. dark which way is home like so just i don't know i carry a compass a gps and a cell phone with google maps i do not want to get lost out there especially with all the grizz around <laughs> so take i i look behind you and take a mental snapshot okay that branch is coming like that that means turn left to the car it's a good tip. I don't know because I've been uh, screwed before. So.
0: It is, and like it's one of those things that um, I think when you're an adult onset hunter, it changes a little bit. Like I, I grew up, um, you know, following my dad around, and he would constantly ask me, "Where's the truck?" And so, like it was a little game we play. It would be like, "Hey, where's the truck?" You know, I'd be like, Oh, All on purpose
1: to test yeah. you, not that you lost." Okay, no, no,
0: no. It was a, it yeah, was a that's... test to be like, "It's that way," Here, and like, "No, yeah. it's over there." And like I find myself doing it with my kid already. You know, like I mean, he's three whatever yeah. um but like you know it's just like you like having that mental in your head like okay just that keeping track of what direction we're going and, and which way to get out of at here. the
1: end of the day this is a pastime and so oh, yeah. you gotta get home you gotta get <laughs> right yeah like i'm part of the wild sheep society of bc and they have like this you know this sheep hunter was lost 20 years ago and no one's ever found him like well man you don't want to be that guy yeah no kidding you, know, you got a you got a family, and it's, just, it's. We we talk about it like it's the be all and end all, but we got to admit it's just a hobby, because <laughs> we can still go to Safeway and buy groceries. This is. True. I don't want, I don't want to, but um, we still can. Anyway, I derailed us totally.
0: <laughs> You're fine. Um, I want to. Well, I guess we could get back on topic, but um, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll circle back to this. I want to, I want to ask you about BCL kind of okay, a little bit, but um, okay, sure let's
1: uh, first of all there's a lot of guys in bc who shoot a lot more elk than me and a lot bigger elk than me so you can ask if you have are like, there per- like
0: hardcore BC elk guys because i feel like everyone in canada is a sheep person
1: uh very few people are sheep person because just because it's the tag costs you 50 bucks very, most people here are road hunters that's crazy. i'm talking i'm talking like just of all people who hunt I'm going to say three quarters of them show up to camp with a quad, a Chevy 3500, and a couple cases of, well, we, Molson Canadian to be cliche. Yeah. It's probably not Molson Canadian. And they're just good old boys out with guns and quads and beer. Yeah. And they're, dri- and they're driving the roads, especially, I'm not, okay, especially he, where I live. Moose hunting is kind of not as many people hunt elk where I live, they more hunt moose. And that's kind of like the strategy for moose hunting here. Cause it's all a jungle. There's no glassing or anything. It's just drive the road slowly until you jump out and shoot one. I'm not going to tell you what not to do or what to do but that is not for me.
0: <laughs> I, I would love to kill an elk in, in BC. Like, I, I don't know. I've talked to a number of people now who like, it definitely seems challenging to me. It seems a lot like, you know, where I grew up, it's probably better than where I grew up. Like I feel like there's still a you'll, lot more you'll,
1: you'll see well, no, you'll see less pressure, but you'll see less elk. We like I remember, like, we're like twice the size of Texas, but we got less elk in Colorado.
0: Yeah, well, I don't know if you've ever been to the coast range of Oregon, but there's not a lot of elk. Like okay. we have a, our rifle season is well, first season's four days, and like you will see uh I don't know, like if you just like, so a lot of it's done on like Forest Service ground or uh, yep. timber country or uh, blah, 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 timber company ground. And yep. you could be going to a gate and there would be 60 trucks going that gate behind you. Yep. Like it's a parade of people. I it, don't know if like, we
1: have 60, but, but this is partly why where I live, almost no one bow hunts.
0: Well, I guess where I just moved,
1: from, I just left. I don't know where I'm going to hunt. I don't know if I'm going to hunt elk next year because we're... We're doing kind of odd jobs for the next number of months. We're upgrading our training for a few months. And I don't know where I'm gonna live. I'm gonna try and hunt out, but I don't know. But w- if you really wanna if you really wanna hunt in BC, after you're done recording, we can talk about options. Um uh, my, got- one part- my one partner is getting his ACL rebuilt. So I'm down a hunting partner. So
0: <laughs> perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Um kind of like All to right. get I- back. You you said you live in Montana? Yeah, I live in Montana now.
1: You got way bigger bulls.
0: (laughs) Oh yeah, why do you think I moved here? Like I'm from I'm from Oregon. I don't like yeah. Um, I don't go back there. And this is the thing is like I always tell people. Um, a lot of times you'll talk to guys who live in Oregon or Washington. They're like, oh, you know, how do I become a better elk hunter? I was like, stop hunting. Um, the coast range of Oregon and Washington. Like that's just that's number one. (laughs) So from there, like it all it's it just gets easier.
1: Sure, I'd love to hunt more open terrain. I don't know what I would do. I don't know I. The Only thing I know is pushing the guy down the street for me, Hans Elk, or what used to be down the street for me. He's like, Yeah, me and my guy, we just figure what's the thing we want, what's the bush we want to walk through the least? That's where we should walk, and that's where the elk are. <laughs> it's like, What's it like? Yeah.
0: What's your guys's like strategy? Like, if you break it into like, Okay, we got to go find elk, you kind of like maybe have places where you know elk are going to be just like now i
1: do so i've lived i lived in that same place now for five years so i was e-scouting like okay i've heard there's elk here what's the nearest forest service road that the nearest cut block to old growth that i can get that i can just push bush into and get off the road that's what i did started finding some trails start finding some wallows here's some bugles and this is kind of actually like that we're getting into my one rule everything you've ever seen that one footprint you saw when you were hiking with your grandma that was an elk there at some point keep that in your mind or your journal because you may use that one time elk season is year-round and it's from the first day you ever step in the woods I'm I'm planning my next sheep hunt before my upcoming sheep hunt yeah or deer hunt or whatever right like I'm planning next elk season before this season even happens and so my now, this year and last year, I because I spent a few years, I had the luxury of knowing a few pockets. Um, they're not ubiquitous. They're not everywhere where I live. They're just a few pockets that some were actually transplanted. So they were just, for whatever reason, they decided, we're going to bring elk and let them loose here. And everyone knows about it, but everyone roads hunt with a rifle. So I'm like the only guy sweating... And getting thorns stuck in my eye. My my one family member, I though so I'm a doctor. I, I had to take him to the eMERGE because he got a stick in his eye and he couldn't see and I had to like clean out his eye and emerge. And he had to leave his his hunter early because of that, because so thick. It's just crazy. I, I lost topic. What, what, what are we talking about? What are my strategy here. So I here I now know a few pockets. So I go, okay, so what's sunrise? Uh five fifteen. Okay. I want to be there in the old growth, at least 30 minutes before sunrise. And I now, like, there's a couple places I can walk in the dark. I'm scared like hell because there's grizz everywhere. But I carry two cans. In Canada, you're not allowed to carry, you're not allowed to own a, unless you have a, a restricted license, you can't own a, a, a
0: pistol. This is insane so I carry- to me.
1: Yeah, I know. I, it is. And I've seen a ton of grizz. I carry two cans of bear spray because I've run into as many as six in one day. What's one can going to do? um this is nuts so i carry I, I don't carry want to up. kill an elk there well actually on this one the guys that came to help me out said they had a bear huff at them from when they parked the quad <laughs> it would have been a, it would have been a black bear um but anyway okay what's my strategy so here yeah um i get into the old growth and i would say this if there's really really thick bush and it's just that's all it is if there's elk living there they don't like to me where i live they don't come out to feed anywhere they don't come out to water anywhere there's water everywhere where i live they just have your pockets where they live so get in the old growth before it's light before it's even dawn on the horizon and sit and listen and as it's just light enough that you can see your way hiking you can start working your way to wherever you want to go and then start calling and it's just calling it's calling, calling calling i have a few wallows if I had the patience to put up a tree stand and sit dawn till dusk for three or four weeks. I'm going to arrow a bigger bull than I've ever even seen. I don't have the patience to do that. That's funny. I Did like you to find, call you. Said, you I, I like to the run and gun and it's addicting. It's, it's like, I, I, I imagine it's what being a meth addict is when <laughs> calling elk, like all you ever want to do is call bulls in. Like when you have a T-Rex screaming at you 40 yards away and you still can't see it, but you can hear him destroying the trees because he's so mad that you're there. All you ever want is that again. And I'll never, I may tree stand one day, but calling Elka is all I want to do.
0: <laughs> you mentioned that uh, that you target the the, the Olgo timber. Is that because the Elka there? Or is that because it's the only way to move around?
1: Oh, the old growth is just as bad as the cut blocks. Um, so the the for me, that's where I've I shot one elk in the middle of a cut block midday. Clearly that elk had been pushed out of the herd and was I just happened to be driving by. but every other elk I called in has been in old growth. So I'm not saying they don't. They, they go, especially in the spring and summer, like you can go to cut blocks because we don't really have meadows here. We don't have like, well, northern BC or, or the Kootenays where you have alpine, but I've never seen them there in hunting season. Yeah, right? Maybe it's like that they know, quote-unquote, that it's hunting season. So I only, I personally, and I'm not saying this is a rule, but I, in BC I only get into them in the timber. Um, and so that's where I go. And it's not fun at all, unless you're hearing elk call. And one of my last rule, elk hunting's miserable. It's so miserable. But if you've heard of, if you've had a bull scream at you inside 40 yards and he wants to kill you, you will never, you'll only ever want that again. And that's, I've only killed a few elk, but all I want to do every year is do that. And it may never yeah. be a big one because of you know the type of terrain I hunt. You'll never see a big one there. Maybe I won't. Or they're too savvy. I'm not a good enough caller. I don't care. I want to hear elk bugle. I want to yeah. call them in. The yeah. one I, I've only arrowed one. I've got a few of the rifles. I've arrowed one. I arrowed him at 11 yards in the neck. I gave him what's, what's, what's called a burst fracture of the cervical spine. So it's a, if you get hung from a noose and you die, that's the type of injury you have. That's what my arrow gave him just straight on through the neck right? we can talk about anatomy and frontal Dude, i won. am
0: yes i would love to dive in this with you this is a great topic like so okay back up a half second yeah. explain so you you shot this bull in the throat and what is called a burst fracture
1: okay so i i'm not a i'm not a, an expert hunter um i'm not going to tell you to take a shot you're not comfortable with i'm going to tell you don't take a shot you're not comfortable with because i passed up a shot this year i wasn't comfortable with and maybe i could have killed that but i passed him up so never take a shot you're not comfortable with but i know enough about anatomy because of my training as a physician elk are mammals most of the bones in our body have analogous bones and arteries and everything in the ungulates, okay? So yeah. picture, a human, picture a human on all fours, okay? Now, they hold their head up higher than we do. So if you're listening, feel your clavicle, your collarbones. It's called your clavicle. Comes a bone yeah. called the manubrium, okay? Okay. okay. So go, go middle of the way up your collarbone, called the clavicle, and then just go up a little bit to the soft spot.
0: Yeah.
1: What are, you touch, what are you touching there? Do you know what you're touching?
0: I have no idea. Lung. Oh,
1: really? That's a lung shot. All yeah, mammals, nice. it's called the thoracic inlet. Remember that scene in Troy where Brad Pitt like, runs up to that giant, and he jumps, and he like stabs him yeah, up the neck, yeah. and he's like, is there no one else? That's yeah. a great way to kill an elk. <laughs> all there is there. All there is and any mammal with four limbs in that spot is skin or fur. And then there's lung. Right. So if you don't feel comfortable with a shot, don't take it. But a frontal shot is a great shot if, you're, if you can make it. And you don't have to hit the lung. What's up from the lung? Okay, you have four huge blood vessels feeding the brain. Well, two feeding the brain, the carotid arteries. All, ma- all ungulates and all mat- four limb mammals are going to have one on either side of their trachea, their windpipe. And then they're going to have a jugular vein going down if an arrow slices any of those that animal's dead and maybe it'll make it 5 10 15 20 100 200 yards but there's going to be blood like a quentin tarantino movie because those are those are some of the fur so the the, the 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 heart if you're standing face up is protected by the rib cage if you're laying forward that thoracic inlet you can hit the heart that way mm. it's down it's just tucked in behind the ribs and the sternum so if you if you if you shoot too low on a frontal you're going to bounce off the ribs and go down and hit the ground not a kill shot but if you got just above it so what i would say is if you're looking at an elk face on obviously he has to be holding his head up if he's got his head down in a crouch sniffing the air glunking his face is blocking that thoracic inlet but if he's up alert looking around if you draw an imaginary line over his shoulders and basically you got like six, eight, ten inches on either side of that. You can hit that. He's going to die. If you hit him too high and you miss an, uh, a major artery, what are you going to hit? You're going to go through. If you have any kind of velocity and mass to your arrow, you're going to give him what's called a burst fracture of his spine. So the, the front of the spinal column is the vertebral body. So you see the vertebrae are like, they're kind of like rings stacked up on top of each other Right behind them is a circle of bone, and then the spinal cord runs there. But if you smash the front of that vertebrae and you shatter it, sending shards of bone into the spinal canal, you're going to pierce, <laughs> pierce this. If you do it in the neck, you are doing it higher up than all the nerves feeding all four limbs. So that the one elk I arrowed, he didn't topple. He lost in almost instantaneously lost all neurologic input to all four limbs simultaneously. So he literally dropped with all four limbs up beside his head. Oh, no way. And then that's your first elk and you're like, that was easy. (laughs) (laughs) I've been trying to do this for like seven years and then there's no blood tracking. So I'm not telling anyone to take a frontal shot if they don't feel they can make it, but the anatomy, there's a thing called the thoracic inlet. There's nothing there except lung and four major blood vessels. Say you missed the lung, you missed the four major blood vessels. What's next? The esophagus. That's what you eat, okay? And mm. I work in the emergency department, so one of the causes of chest pain is esophageal rupture. That's a life-ending thing. If you rupture your esophagus, it's a big vascular muscle, that animal's dead. That one you may not be able to track as well, but that animal's dead and not in very long. You... Somehow you missed all of those. You hit the front of its vertebral body. If you're shooting a 39-pound bow with a 75-grain broadhead and a 200-grain arrow, maybe you don't have the the kinetic energy to burst its vertebrae. But if you have a proper hunting arrow and you're at close range, you're going to shatter one of its vertebrae, and it's going to lose neurologic input. You may have to still put an arrow through its, its lung or something. So I will never tell anyone... And if I, I don't take a shot you're not comfortable with, but the frontal shot is not a bad shot. It's got so much vital organs there. Vital organs are more than just lung, heart, and liver. You, if you hit, the other thing, I didn't even, didn't even mention the aorta. The aorta is the main blood vessel coming off the heart. In a human, it comes up towards your head, curves back towards your spine. Okay? So if you now picture a human laying on all fours with its neck tilted way up. If you drew a line straight uh. there, if you miss the heart, what are you going to hit the aorta? The aorta is the main blood vessel coming off the heart. So every single heartbeat is pumping through the aorta. If you ruptured that.
0: Isn't an aortic all, rupture like you only live for seconds?
1: Totally side topic. I met a guy uh, in my residency who he didn't come in for this. He ruptured his aorta driving his jeep, wrapped his jeep around a pole, and still have to tell about it. I don't know how. Jesus. But I've seen um, a, what's called aortic dissection, which is different than a rupture, and they die fast. Right. If you if you hit an elk or anything's an aorta, that's so every heartbeat is pumping through the aorta. If you hit that, all the blood the heart is pumping is going out the big hole your broadhead just made, or at right. least half of it is, and they're gonna die.
0: Like now, yeah.
1: They may, bleed, they may bleed internally and they're not, not being much of a blood trail if you hit the carotid or the jugular. Because on us, you can feel the carotid pulses.
0: Yeah. Imagine,
1: and that's a high-pressure system. The arterial system is high-pressure. If you hit an elf's carotid, you're literally a Quentin Tarantino movie. You're <laughs> splitting like, blood everywhere. You're going to find that elf. Yeah. And it's going to die fast because its brain's not getting any blood. Okay, it's gut and liver still getting blood for a while. but Their brain suddenly lost blood flow. Now it can't think. It's going to fall over.
0: I don't know. I've tracked elk that look like Quentin Tarantino movies and never found them before, which is yeah. like, that blows my freaking mind. Because if I was... That happened, to like me
1: that-, with, uh, that happened to me with a with a, a a legit book black bear this year. I've never seen so much blood. Put an arrow right through it. Found the arrow. Blood the whole way. Blood, I've never seen so much blood. Couldn't find the bear. I was actually too scared to go after this bear. It was so big. Because I was a <laughs> bow. I was spotting stock in a farm field by myself with a bow. And I was like... I don't want to go after those berries too big. I was, I was, I was actually scared. And I
0: told myself to So, the so what, is, what is it different about animals? Why are elk so tough? Like, I mean, we always say like, man, elk are tough. And elk are I stupid do. tough. Like, what, what makes them, is it adrenaline? I, or?
1: This is where my area of expertise ends. But I would right. agree with you. My bull last year, I put a 250 grain slug through both lungs. And it took me eight hours to find them.
0: Now That's, partly yeah.
1: my fault, the bullet. It was a bit of a long shot for that bullet. I still found him. He was still dead. I was confident in the shot, but the I guess the, the bullet probably didn't mushroom. It was going too slow at that point. But um, I don't know why they're so tough. They're freaking tough. Yeah, and I found a, year, I I a bear hunter. I, I don't really care to do it, but who could pass up a book bear with a bow? Solo oh, hunting?
0: Oh, I would yeah. Solo 100%. spawn
1: stock solo spot and stock record book bear. Yeah, you're gonna do that. Yeah. even if you don't,
0: bear. and I don't,
1: and I, did you not find him? No, I'm, I'm very disappointed in myself. Um, but no, I didn't find the bear and I've never seen so much blood. I, I don't have the expertise to know why some animals are tougher than others, but I believe it to be true. I have no evidence for that. That's not something I've researched. I don't know how you would conduct that research Right. other than interviewing very experienced hunters, much more, much more experienced than myself. And, and looking for trends. Um, a lot of the stuff I wrote, in this, I guess we didn't cover most of it. It's not my knowledge. It's like I just learned about elk because I started to get probably a, a higher than what would be considered rational um, interest in elk. Um, so, But I guess anyone who's, who likes to call elk is uh, probably well, not that same way.
0: No. And I mean, like, I don't know, like I, I've never considered myself an expert either, like more, um, just curious, you know, like I'm always learning. And like, since as far back as I can remember, I've tried to just consume everything. Um, and I think that that's like, get your hands on every piece of information you can. Like, I mean, it's only going to help, um, some of the best things that, some of the things that have helped me the most to become a successful hunter are, you know, like what you had talked about, the you know, the biology of things, understanding what they're eating, why they're eating, where they're going to be. And just like starting to get your head wrapped around, you know, why is an elk doing something? That is, there's a great book. Do
1: you know who Valerius Geist is?
0: Why have I heard that name?
1: Okay. So he recently passed away, I think in his eighties, he is like, he did his PhD on deer, I think from the university of British Columbia, but he basically like wrote the books on all the ungulates he wrote one on elk. He wrote one on mule deer. Like he just um, read his elk book. It's it's not a hunting book. He has hunted in his life. It's just like a a, a popular cult. Like it's just for like a, a coffee table book, but with way more detail. Goes through all the elk's life cycles, all those things. Like oh, wow. any little tidbit is gonna is gonna help your elk hunting, or you just like learning about elk. And he's got a ton of photos of a
0: ton of big bulls. So. I this fascinating for the sheer fact that this is an elk book that I don't have. So like, I think
1: you. it's called the encyclopedia of elk. It's awesome.
0: Um, I have Valerius guys wrote elk country Wildlife. Okay, country. that that's probably it. Yeah. I okay. took
1: that book to my wedding. I liked it so much.
0: <laughs> that's awesome. Um, yeah, I'm going to order this now. So and he, he
1: writes about other deer species too. He's like the world expert on deer. It's too bad. He's passed away now. Yeah, but find find guys like that, that I've published and like, that's what I want. I wanted to be, I wanted to learn more about elk, but I wanted to be a better elk hunter. So I was like, if I'm a, I'm a doctor. So if I want to become a better doctor, I got to surround myself with better doctors. I got to learn from better doctors. Well, yes. So I got to learn. And if this doctor keeps on screwing things up, I'm not going to listen to what he says. (laughs) Right. And if those guys like, oh, the elk always do this. It's like, well, how many elk you killed in the last 10, 20 years? well if it's not that many i'm not going to listen to what he says
0: well and i think that the other thing is to to consider is like anyone who says um this is how it is uh is is probably doesn't know enough yet you know it's like if i've learned anything it's like the more i learn, the less i know well that's Uh, my opening
1: statement elk are heterogeneous they show trends they show trends most herd bulls can't be called off the cows like You know, most of these things you'll see, but there's one offs, but there are, there's a few things that just, I think are always true. And, and and that's kind of what I thought about, like, what are those core things that are going to be true? I was thinking, if I went to, if I went to, okay, where's there a place where you just see for miles and you see elk way a mile out there? I don't know where that would be. If I went there, I was like, what are the things that I would need to retain Cause it's nothing like I have experienced with what are those core things? Okay. If I call, they can't see where I'm calling from. I can't get winded. Um, like a few things, like those are the rules. Those are the only things that are true in every scenario. Right. No. And I- that's what I kind of focused on. Everything else is like, there's trends. Most elk will do this most of the time. And those are not rules. So don't disregard them. Cause there's a lot of uncertainty in elk hunting or any hunting. So you have to, you want to maximize your chance for success. So go with the trends, but recognize that they're trends and that one specific situation you're in might be the time where there's the exception.
0: Yes. And, you know, the and more that's experience yourself... which I need to get more
1: of and I want to get more of.
0: And, you know, it's funny cause I went out into, you know, like, I think I, decided that i wanted to be good at every aspect of it no matter if it killed me and so you know i i grew up hunting the thick stuff i've i've called i've spot stock and now i spend a lot of time in open country and you know i if you if you want to be a well-rounded hunter i don't think measuring for me measuring my success on how many elk i've killed is not the end goal and i think it can to me it can get frustrating it's like oh like i haven't killed an elk i didn't kill an elk this year last year um, first time i ever gone that many years. And to me, it's like, that's not the end goal. The end goal is to keep learning and to keep growing. And, you know, am I better this year than I was last year? Uh, and you know, I think the day that you're like, oh, here's the system that I can execute to me, that's the wrong reasons. Like, could I go kill a 300 or a six point bowl every single year? Yes, I probably could. Um, you know, I could develop the system. I'm still looking to
1: get to, get to that level. <laughs> Cause I'm not there yet.
0: And I, I mean, it's, that could be ground. Like if I was where you are, if I hunting ground was where you are, maybe that would not be the case, you know? Um, But I'm fortunate enough to have basically the lower 48 as my playground. So like they, that opens up a lot of opportunities.
1: Yeah. Well, you mentioned you want to come up to Canada. We can talk about that after the, after the podcast or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll keep talking all night long, but it's late for you, man. Holy. You're yeah. A little guy too, so.
0: I, I, I appreciate it. Um, yeah. Thank you so much. And I, I'm going to put in the, in the, in the show notes or whatever, I'll, I'll add, um, a lot of your text, and if that's okay with you, um, I, I, mean, I
1: I read through it today and there's some typos, so you might want to spell check it.
0: <laughs> okay. It sounds good. No yeah. worries. Um, well, thank you so much for jumping on and, uh, yeah, I
1: really appreciate it. This to me is a kind of a, a thrill. It's kind of like meeting Wayne Gretzky or something. <laughs>
0: oh that is definitely not the case um I, I, yeah
1: <laughs> well okay someone much better at hockey than i am
0: <laughs> <laughs> well thank you so much for jumping on and i yeah I, I learned a lot from your experience and like i think there's a lot of people that can pull from your knowledge you're uh, definitely a smart dude and i think it's it's interesting to see your insights into your experiences in Elkhunter.
1: yeah thanks so much and i keep those podcasts coming because i listen to them all the time so
0: <laughs> all right well have a good night man have a good night Alrighty, guys. Thanks for tuning in to the Elk Hunt podcast. If you love elk hunting content, tips and tactics, all that jazz, then go leave this podcast a review wherever you listen to podcasts at. Much appreciated. And if you're interested, go check out our Elk Hunt 201 course. It's a four-step system for doubling your success. It's a great resource and it's going to make you a better hunter. I guarantee that or we'll refund your money. So go check it out. Link in the show notes.